That man is the richest whose pleasures are the cheapest. Henry David Thoreau You want to fight? We'll give you a fight. Welcome to Fightcast. Hi, everybody. Hey, I'm here also. <laughs> hey, every, I, thank you so much for joining us again for another episode of Fightcast. Uh, appreciate you bearing with us through that hiatus, but we're back. We have returned. Yes. Uh, I'm here again with the lovely Kirsten Wade. I'm here. Um, we're gonna cover something today that uh, many of you may be familiar with. For better or for worse. Yeah, I was going to say it's a triumphant <laughs> return, but... Uh... It, it, it absolutely... It, it, we are triumphant. The show, on the other hand, well, we'll, we'll assess that as we go on, surely. Um, today has a... We, we got a very special episode for you today. We are going to cover something that many of you may be already familiar with. Like I said, for better or for worse... Uh, one of Spike TV's greatest hits. We are going to be covering Deadliest Warrior. Yes. And uh, this is probably going to be part one in a very long series <laughs> of if I can't get a better episode out of... Anyway, whatever. Well, anyway, I gotta uh, say, uh, <laughs> one of the reasons we chose the episode that we did was because we already sort of know a little bit about their cultures. We know a little bit about their fighting styles. Um, obviously we're not going to sit down and review every episode of the show, but, uh, we thought it would be kind of fun to take a look at the comparison that they made and, uh, talk about how wrong they are. Absolutely. Sometimes, <laughs> okay, sometimes they were right. Sometimes, let's give them credit. Uh, we're going to be covering the Deadliest Warrior episode today, uh, episode two of season one, Viking versus Samurai. Dun, dun, dun. Yes. I figured this would be a good place to start off in our Deadliest Warrior series, if only because I have practiced uh, kenjutsu and uh, have studied the, kind of the samurai in my martial arts journey, and Kirsten is I'm, an actual Viking. So, well, yeah. here we go. I am a fucking nerd who may have had Viking ancestors, and I like throwing axes. Yeah, there you go. I, that, who doesn't like throwing axes? I mean... Losers. Yeah. Knife throwers, that's who. Samurai. Because they are not... Samurai, mm. that's who. Yeah, that's true. That's uh, true. As, as per my credentials, I did uh, I did run a blog that actually reviewed the show Vikings and compared it to history. If you want to look up Viking facts, uh, probably I think it's at blogspot.com. Mm -hmm. I uh, did about a season and a half before they went so off the rails that it wasn't really... <laughs> Uh, easy to connect it back to real life anymore. <laughs> Absolutely. And if you want to hear Kirsten talk way more in depth about Vikings, please go back to our previous episode, The Man on the Bridge, where we discuss Viking combat tactics and the Battle of Stanford Bridge in particular. But we're talking about Deadliest Warrior today. Um, let, let, let's start off. What did you like about this? What, what, did they, what did they do well, you know, in this series? Because I got a lot of gripes. I'm not going to lie. Well, I got to say... Um, as, as a fight nerd, as a combat nerd, I have to say that I have had so many conversations with you and with others about, yeah. oh man, who would win in a fight? This guy or this guy? It's the best, it's the best argument to have. Right. I mean, because you can go hour after hour after hour late into the night and lots of alcohol. And so it was, <laughs> it was interesting to watch a bunch of people who, uh, seem like the kind of people who would be in our friend group have this conversation, but have the budget to back up what they're saying. 
That is true. That is true. Now, now, those of you who are not familiar with Deadliest Warrior, what they do is basically it is a who would win if X fought Y show. Right. And uh, they bring in some experts, quote unquote experts yes. from either side. Oh, and uh, they compare the weapons and the tactics and the fighting styles of these two different kinds of warriors and see who would come out on top. Now, mm-hmm. they're kind of unique in the fact that they employ people like um, uh, Dr. Dorian, who is apparently a uh, UFC uh, medic. And yeah. uh, he, he's the guy who's assessing all the combat damage. They have a guy who's a, who's a black belt and a weapons expert, apparently, who's also good with computers. And then they have a total nerd who runs their computer simulations. Right. And I have to say, uh, they did bring in people who know their stuff. You know, um, it's so hard when you talk about Viking combat styles because there just wasn't a whole lot that was written down until years after the fact. Mm. When it comes to uh, the weapons like the axes and the spears, we don't really have much information about how tall those weapons were because wood deteriorates. Um, and, you know, we... we Units so, of measurement vary throughout history, too. Yes. So, um, and also, uh, you're taking the Vikings, who were a period from about the 750s to the 1150s, mm-hmm. versus the samurai, whose big period was... Uh, their periods uh, stretch from about, I want to say, the 1400s all the way up until the uh, mid to late 1800s. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about a 400-esque span of his, 400-year span of history, right. just about. And you're fighting with weapon styles, and you're fighting with armor styles that did not evolve together. And no, so a not. lot of these uh, comparisons aren't generally fair because, you know, the, the uh, mounted knight, the knight on horseback, uh, was evolved and was... Um, created and trained to fight against a specific type of weapon the uh the zulu warrior was uh created and trained to fight against another type of specific weapon and so these people could be the deadliest warrior in their fighting style but you know it's I don't know. The, the, These the comparisons much... are silly. At their core, they're silly. <laughs> that's true, that's true. And, and I think that probably even the creators of the show knew that going right. into it. You know, because you have... It's very much akin to, I, I hate to say this, but single-celled bacterial organisms. You know, you, you you study one Petri dish apart from another Petri dish. And that's what these cultures are. For the most part, you know, cultures throughout the ancient to pre-modern world were very isolated. Yeah. And they developed their own, like you said, weapons and armor styles and fighting styles um, in their own locality, in their own sort of... Cultural and anthropological petri dish, if that so, makes sense. So, talking about these various cultures, something interesting that they brought up um, was that both sides, both the samurai expert and the Viking expert, brought up the fact that uh, the warriors preferred to die in battle. Um, and I know for me, I took issue with the uh, statement that uh, Viking, the Viking idea of heaven is war. And yeah. I, I, I think a lot of people think of Valhalla when they think of heaven, but Valhalla was only restricted to a few select people. The Viking idea of heaven in reality was Folkvander, which was just like a big green field where the weather is great and your family's all there. And yeah. I mean, it's... The Elysian fields, basically. You yeah, know? yeah. So um, this idea that you do want to die in battle is very prevalent in Viking culture. You know, to die in battle is a great honor, and you hope that you're chosen 
for Valhalla, but if you're not chosen for Valhalla, you still get to go to Folkvander, and Folkvander is where, like, your friends and family would get to go as well. That's not a bad consolation prize, honestly. No, it's not. Now, um... Correct me if I'm wrong, in Viking culture, was it every single warrior who died in battle, or was it simply the best and the bravest and the most qualified to be Einherjar in the afterlife? Yes, only the best and brightest. And, um, and they would I... fight with the gods at Ragnarok. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's complicated. So, so the Valkyrie, their entire job was to handpick the best warriors to bring back to Valhalla with them. So, you know, you die in battle, and through this belief system, it's not even guaranteed that you'll get to Valhalla. But, um, <laughs> you think they sort through the warriors like apples? Like, nah, nah, <laughs> nah, that one's good. Uh, nah, this one's nah, that's bruised. Nah, <laughs> nah. Uh, there's no innards in this one, nah. <laughs> you know? Oh, that one's just, I don't know, he just kind of creeps me out. This one's past expiration day. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, they would fight in Ragnarok, but... Um, it wasn't like they were there to fight against the gods. It's more that they were there to sort of pad the numbers of the armies to yeah. fight against Loki and his assholes. Yeah, um, yeah. And the armies of the dead who came from Helheim, which was where all the bad people go. Yeah, yeah. But unfortunately, that kind of nuance doesn't make for very good television. True. They have to dumb everything down to its most basic level. So, that, yeah, sorry. Oh, well, so David, how about the samurai? Was it their goal to die in battle? Yes and no. I mean, for one thing is that okay. One thing that I take a lot of issue with is that the samurai were a class. They were, or more accurately, they were a mm. caste in Japanese society. You were born into it. They got that part right. Absolutely. You know, you couldn't really become a samurai after a certain point. You know, you had to really be born into that family. But. Um, not everybody in that class was necessarily an amazingly skilled warrior. You know, you had samurai who were warriors, and you also had samurai who were more probably best adept at, like, record-keeping, or, mm -hmm. you know... Uh, I, we made a really good comparison to the knights yeah, of Europe. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there were some knights who were given that title, given that training, but, you know, there's yeah. not really a war going yeah. on, so you're just gonna go home and run your household, and yeah. then if there's fighting, you'll come in for a year to do... Yeah this war but um you weren't fighting all the time yeah there's not the, a mercenary there was the title and then there were the people who had that title who also had the fighting skill mm. to back it up you know i mean every samurai nominally was supposed to be very good at fighting not all of them were i mean if we're talking about like a hereditary you know roll of the dice i mean you're just not gonna get amazingly skilled warriors every time you right. cannot you cannot, as every person in the military knows, you cannot necessarily make every single person into the best soldier on the planet. It, it, mm -hmm. it, it takes the right person and also the right training, and there's, you know, combinations thereof. So The, the Vikings were actually quite similar as far as that. Um, not every Norseman was a Viking, and in mm -hmm. fact, the term Viking is a term that means a person who goes on these raids. Yeah. Um, you okay. go Vikinging, I guess would be It was a term. verb! Yes, it was. Um, you could be a Vikinger who goes on a Viking. And huh. uh, not everybody did that. Obviously, it would kind of be the hand-picked people who happen to be good at fighting. And sailing um, and navigating and all that kind exactly. of Exactly. Their training was building the boats mm -hmm. um, because you're using the axe. Great team-building exercise. Exactly. 
And uh, so there would be an entire farmer class. There was a merchant class. There was a trading class. There were the slave classes. Um, Wait, you mean they weren't completely 100% geared towards rape and pillage like this like this oh show portrayed? No. And, I mean, the Vikings did rape and pillage. That is something that did happen in history, and it's not good to gloss over. However, yeah. most of the time when the Vikings came to a settlement or yeah. to a village, they would run in there, steal all the shit from the churches, um, you know, steal as much... the churches had the good shit. Yes, and they also didn't have the idea that these places were holy and sacred. And the idea of stealing a Bible, like, why are they freaking out over paper? Oh, wait, they're going to give us all this gold for paper? Fuck it, take it, we're going to ransom it. Wait, you mean we know exactly where everybody in this village is going to be on Sunday? Well, that too, yeah. Um, But they would uh, take paper, they would take... usually noble people they would take a lot of children or the nuns or the monks and they would yes and they would go offshore for a little bit while there were hostage negotiations to buy these things back and then they would sail away with their gold yeah it's it's such a far cry from the image of the bloodthirsty dumb brutish uh, you know pillager that is bent solely on destruction i mean these people were out to enrich themselves mm-hmm. and to help their own civilizations thrive you know you, you can't very well do that if you just simply destroy everything in your path exactly and um and again the very first event during the viking age was the raid on lindisfarne so and that was an awful awful raid where the monks were raped pillaged church burned all that stuff um so it's not like it didn't happen but it is incorrect to say that the Vikings were a bunch of uncontrollable barbarians whose only purpose was total destruction like this show portrays. Just like the samurai yeah. were not these uh, super brilliant strategists who yeah. were full of honor and never would have done any of those things because of all of their honor. <laughs> Absolutely. It's fetishization and it's, the, mm, yeah. And, and there's a quote that, that, that the quote-unquote samurai expert used in, in this episode, that is like a Bushido saying that if you if you come to the battlefield prepared to die, then that, then you'll probably live. And if you come wanting to live, then you're probably gonna die. Like I don't know a single source. Like I've read a few books, I've read a few texts from that era and everything. I've not heard anything like that. I'm not mm-hmm. sure where that kind of sentiment comes from. But there, there again, just like with the Vikings, there's this cultural entertainment kind of based idea that. These were all people who were out to have a noble death, and that's all they cared about. And while, yes, you if you were going to die on the battlefield, you wanted to have the best death possible, I suppose. But, you know, the, the idea that they didn't have any kind of self-preservation instinct at all, I think is deeply unrealistic. Mm. It, 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 it portrays these people as, like, all they, like, they, like... They, it was a death cult or something like that. And while you had, during the uh, period of peace and everything, following the Tokugawa shogunate and after the Battle of Sekigahara and everything, you had all 400 years of peace, you know? Mm. Uh, it was it was unbelievable. The After Sekigahara, you didn't really have large-scale combat on that on that gigantic scale anymore. So you had a lot of warriors, samurai, whose jobs were not necessarily to conquer territory anymore or defend their lord against invasion anymore because the the country was unified under right. one shogun. They were there to uh, handle the occasional problem, exactly. but mostly run their households and 
be successful. Exactly. And serve their lords in various, I mean, admi- administrative duties. We, do, we, we don't go, we don't think of samurai as administrators, but for a long time they were. You know, they were the people who had the education and the training and in government and all that kind of thing. You know, they were a just lot of, a bunch of quill pushers. Basically, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's it or brush pushers in their case. Brush pushers, you know, yeah. you know. I had to think of what their writing system. <laughs> Something like that. Goddamn calligraphers, a lot of them. Calligraphy pushers, ink pushers. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But you know, um, many people forget this: that the country was not at war constantly for a long time. Mm. Once the Tokugawa shogunate took over. It was very much a period of you had small-scale conflicts and you had interpersonal conflicts and conflicts at the clan level and that kind of thing and a lot of political intrigue, Mm. um, but you didn't have large-scale warfare. So you had samurai who became very peaceful, very um, artistic, you know, they wrote poetry, they developed... Flower flower arranging. You yes. would not believe how amazingly important yeah, they thought flower arranging huge. was. Miyamoto Musashi, who deserves his own episode, certainly, uh, was a master flower arranger in his time, you know? People forget this. But that's that's the same with the Vikings. People forget that the Vikings were great traders. You know, they have mm-hmm. found... Uh, they have found coins from India in settlements in uh, Scandinavia because mm-hmm. the Vikings were well known for their trading. Yeah. There is graffiti that says, like, half Dan was here at um, <laughs> the Hagia Sophia in Constantinople. No, yeah. Istanbul. Uh, it's Constantinople it's... at the time. Don't do the song. <laughs> Everybody's already saying it in their heads. <laughs> but, you know, but again, um, the simplified versions of it, the dumbed-down versions that they portray here in Deadliest Warrior, those are the most palatable and digestible, you know, right. things, you know? Well, this is an hour-long show with commercials, so yeah. they do what they can. You know, I, I, I get it. You know, this is Spike TV. They want good television. They want compelling... that. They, 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 you say it's Spike TV, and then you say they want good television. Which is it? <laughs> oh God, I'm sure that there's a balance that they strike somewhere in there. But the but the idea being that the truth is not very sexy. You know, the yeah. the, the facts are not very sexy. You want to get a good soundbite, and you want to get a good kind of visual, and then go from there. So basically, what we're saying is this podcast is going to be very unsexy. So let's be unsexy. <laughs> what was the first uh, the first weapon pairing that they had? The first weapon pairing that they had, I think, was the close range weapons. They had the uh, the Viking Dane axe mm. and uh, the samurai katana. Now, I wouldn't call the Dane axe necessarily a close range weapon. I mean, I would call that more. I would call that more of a pole arm. I would not necessarily call that like if they um, had the single handed axe. That would be more analogous to a close-range weapon, but they, they the, play kind of fast and loose with their categories a the lot. The Danax uh, would have been a little bit more prevalent. It's a little bit more iconic of a Viking yeah. weapon. I would say that it works well enough as yeah. a close-range weapon just because it is a two-handed, yeah. you know, swing them about axe. Now, for those who are not familiar with a Danax exactly, what is a Danax? A Danax is um, kind of, it, it, it is that quintessential Viking weapon. It is that axe that is quite tall, but not quite as tall as a person, but sometimes as tall as a person, depending on what area you're going to. It's got the blade on one side, and again, depending on what area you're in, the shape of that blade could change. But mm-hmm. um, 
it was just a, it's a very simple weapon. Yeah. And it I mean it's it's an axe. It's yeah. it's a bit of an oversized axe. Yeah. Um now there is that uh two-bladed axe that is super popular in Viking uh in like modern this is what Vikings did. Yeah. Um, was that a later innovation? That is actually an Im- innovation that came from their trading with the Ottoman Empire. Really? Yes. Um that was something that was found in Istanbul because um not Constantinople Right. Uh, <laughs> no, well, it was, was probably Constantinople. Oh God, uh, Ottoman Empire. Uh, it was. It was a weapon that was found there, and you see it in art and tapestries and that sort of thing in uh, the near Middle East. But um, it was probably more of a show weapon yeah. than an actual useful weapon. Um, but it looks much cooler. So that kind of survived to modern. Um, iconography when it comes yeah. to the idea of a viking it's it's basically the weapon version of the horned helmet like gotcha, yes. yes you can find some examples of it in some places yeah but it wasn't common it wasn't standard certainly it, it wasn't standard it wasn't really used in battle and really the only reason it exists is because it looked cool so the dane axe would just be that simple axe that you use two hands to chop people as we saw in the show in yep. half Absolutely. And on the samurai side, you had them ha- uh, display the katana. Now, they were somewhat inconsistent with this because the katana, as we all know and love it, is a three foot long from tip to end of the grip um, weapon that was very much a. The, the, the way that we modern people think of the katana is actually the later evolution of that blade because hmm. once again once the country was under a period of of peace and large battles weren't happening you had weapons that were refined down to the kind of street level hmm. i kind of like to compare it on the european side analogous from like the two-handed long sword hmm. and then once the renaissance happened and everything and we had urban life and everything like that and you had street skirmishes the rapier you know the katana was more analogous to the rapier than it was to the European longsword okay. and everything like that. So what they were using when they were doing these tests, and one of the tests, by the way, is utterly fucking ridiculous. They stack three pig carcasses on top of each other, yeah. and they decide they're, they're going to try and cut through this with a katana, but... The thing is, they don't really use a katana of the type that we know and love. That's right. They use, yeah. A nodachi. Now, now the nodachi is something akin to a, uh, much more like a European longsword than the katana that we think of is, you know? The, the katana is a slightly scaled down version of that, more for use, like I said, in civilian settings, diplomatic settings, urban settings, that kind of thing. In terms of weight, what was the Nodachi like? I'd say the Nodachi was at least a half a pound to a pound heavier than the regular katana. Now, you could have gigantic swords. People think of Japanese swords as being very small and light and spindly and fast and that kind of thing, but in the battlefield era, before the unification of the country and everything, in, in what was called the Sengoku period, or the period of the Warring States, you could have truly massive swords you know you had swords that were much taller than the average person at that time huh. and they would like my sensei al kilgore he he demonstrates this uh at uh, at uh, live demonstrations of our dojo very often and he kind of goes down into this very deep second 
you know, uh, second position almost, a very deep uh, crouching stance and everything, uh-huh. with the sword at the ready, low at his side, ready to come up and strike down in a vertical strike and everything. Um, very, very odd fighting style, actually. It looks very stilted when you look at it in real life, which is another reason that, you know, movies and entertainment prefer the sexy version, right? But, uh,. You could have very large swords that were deployed against not just infantry, but also cavalry. Uh, Samurai began their dominance on the Japanese battlefield as horse archers. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the weapons that they have the samurai using in this episode, the Yumi, very long bow, six to seven feet long, um, very powerful, very precise and everything. So, um, but but, but the point is that... uh, you expected a lot of cavalry, and then the samurai shifted to being foot soldiers and everything. Um, but so the, the the weapon that the samurai expert used during this episode was more akin to a nodachi or, or an uchigatana or a, or an odachi or some kind it's of that field. Bigger, yes, yeah. it, it, it's it's the battlefield weapon as opposed to the self defense um, weapon that noblemen carry later on in an area of mostly peacetime. So okay. They didn't make that distinction, and it kills me that they didn't do that, because it's very important when you're talking about Japanese history. Well, right, and especially if you're claiming to be experts, you know, it it doesn't take much time to just say, by the way, uh, this is not a katana, however, it is a very close weapon called the nadachi, Uh, and here is why there's a difference, and here's why it's okay for this comparison, blah. Yeah. Cut the pigs. Again, they get just to the interesting parts, and, I, and it kills me to not have more context in that. But then, of course, I am a nerd. I am not the <laughs> average person watching Spike TV, for they, fuck's uh, sake. They described the katana with two phrases that I thought were really interesting. Yeah. They said that the katana had a diamond edge blade. <sighs> a diamond hard diamond edge hard blade. Diamond hard edge blade. It's like, I understand that it's hyperbole, but and, and, and the way the Japanese swords were forged, the idea was that the... Um, that the cutting edge was of a very hard steel, mm. and then the back end of the blade, um, the, the the last two thirds of it was of a much softer steel that could bend. So you combined the idea of a very hard cutting edge, which would normally make a sword very brittle, mm-hmm. and then a soft, more bendy sword, which would al- allow your sword to be used more often in combat and stand up to a greater amount of abuse. But, but either way, it would not be hold- diamond hard. <laughs> yeah, that's just like, come on, nobody actually thinks that, yeah. right? Um, right? They also mentioned that the katana would contain the soul of its wielder. Yeah, Is well, that I'm sure they were more? talking metaphorically there. I'm pretty sure they were talking metaphorically. Is, I mean, is, was there that sort of connection between a samurai and his sword? I'm sure it depended from samurai to samurai. I mean, we like to paint all of these warriors as being the same, but just like the Vikings, they were not uniform, you mm. know? People used the best sort of equipment that they could find, the best armor that they could find, and that varied from person to person, you know? Mm. Uh, f- uh, from what they could, they could get their hands on. Yes, the Japanese... Japanese did place a great emphasis on the symbolism of the sword. Mm-hmm. Um, one, if, if you like to spend a couple hours on a Wikipedia binge and look at uh, the imp- what's called the Imperial Regalia of Japan, it's the idea that uh, Japan was founded by the gods, and there are certain um, uh, blessed artifacts that were the property of the mythical founders of Japan. And one of these was a mirror. One of them was, I think, uh, a cloak. And the other one was a sword. Mm-hmm. And um, 
not the kind of sword that we think of as a katana. It was more like a double-edged sword. But anyway, uh, <laughs> but, but, but the idea was that the Japanese did place a great emphasis on the sword as a symbol of their, uh, of their ethos, mm. you know? But I, I don't think that anybody meant that in a literal sense. It's that, not that, that Katana this... from DC Comics Ugh. with literal souls in her sword. Oh, you're going to give me bad flashbacks of Suicide Squad, aren't you? Shh, shh, shh. Remember, oh, there's comics. God. It's better. It's so much better than that. Oh, I guess. All right. Yes. All right. Thank you. Thank All you. Right. Thank you. What was, what was the uh, second comparison that we did? So the, the second s- comparison was the... Uh, "Quote unquote mid-range weapons." The mid-range weapons, and yes. That was the long sword versus the naginata. Yes, on the samurai end, the naginata is an interesting weapon because it's what's known in in European lore that the, the European uh, uh, analog would be a glaive, which is uh, not yes. not necessarily a just a stabbing weapon or a cutting weapon, but both attached to the end of a pole. Now. How Naginata started out were basically katana blades that were positioned on right. the end of a long pole. And How that do I served stab a long that time. guy over there without having to spend more yeah. on steel? Or more accurately, how do I cut the legs out of this horse that's charging at me? Was that the main use of the Naginata? It was, it was definitely an anti-cavalry weapon. It was, it was, the idea was that a samurai armed with the Naginata, which is... The, the best way that I could describe it is if you look at a Chinese dowel blade, scale that down by about two-thirds, and then put that on uh, put that on a spearhead, maybe put a suba or a round uh, guard on it, and then mm-hmm. you basically have a naginata. Now, it's... The, the, the idea behind the naginata was, and, and for a long time it actually became a symbol of female warriors in Japan. Female, oh. f- female warriors, uh, uh, samurai... Women of the samurai class were expected to be able to defend their home mm. uh, to the best of their ability while the men were away, and they were often given a naginata. Um, uh, one of uh, my greatest teachers, and uh, who you will hear an episode from very uh, shortly coming up here, Bob McDougall, oh, yeah. uh, practices the modern version of the naginata uh, martial art, and you can hear more about it from him then. But the idea being is that um, you have a long pole arm with a slashing and stabbing blade on it, so that you could, if ideally, if a if a horseman was coming at you, I can reach up to the horseman and slash at him, or more accurately, slash at his horse, go for the legs. Um, the idea was I want to make sure that this cavalryman cannot be a threat to me any longer, so I'm going to injure his horse, injure him, take the legs out from under the horse, which mm-hmm. is. I don't know how many samurai were able to pull off that feat, but um, mythically, ideally, that was the that, okay. that was the idea. But it gave you a long reach, and you could uh, attack in these wide sweeping arcs, switching your hands up, coming up for another wide sweeping cut, or you could thrust it like a spear. Okay, so um, it seems like the matchup that they did, the Naginata versus the longsword, isn't terribly appropriate. And it was a single-handed longsword, right? Uh, honestly, I can't remember, um, because they, uh, I don't think they went into it at the end. Okay, um, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, a longsword is a longsword. We know what a longsword is. Um, sometimes you, obviously they're different. There are one-handed swords. There are two-handed swords. This show does not make that distinction. <laughs> not terribly. Um, 
this show also didn't go into terrible detail with the long swords because um, I think they sort of assumed that yeah. people know what a sword is. Yeah, but with the Vikings, it was very. It was, it was they were pattern welded. A lot of work went into these swords. Uh, yes and no. So um, Viking. Well, okay. the reason that these two cultures are actually really interesting to compare is that they both had incredibly shit iron. Yeah, they both had awful, awful, awful. Uh, metal ore and did not really they didn't have a chance to make easy weapons yeah you know um the katana had to be folded steel because otherwise that metal is garbage yeah. you know you have to fold it to pound out all the impurities in, yes. in, in the sand iron that they made in these tamahagane furnaces and everything it was yeah. not very good and yeah. and the vikings had bog iron yeah you know and um, and so that you did see pattern welded swords. You did see some folded swords. Yep. Um, there was a sword not terribly long ago that was found that was actually beautifully folded. Oh, yeah. Um, a Viking sword? Yeah. Oh, oh wow. yeah. Right. I'll be damned. Fascinating. But um, most of the good steel that they had would have been traded from mainland Europe. Yeah. And uh, there were several laws passed and edicts passed that were... Um, specifically meant to punish anyone who was found trading steel or horses to a Norseman uh, to kind of combat that whole uh, pillaging yeah. and hostage situation that was going on. But um, they had basically uh, European steel, you know, that, that, that quintessential, um, the steel is just good to melt down and use and forge and however... Uh, whether you're going with the more Anglo-Saxon style or the um, Frankish style, you know, they just, they had access to better steel. Um, but they didn't talk about in the show whether they were comparing the bog iron pattern forge, like, is it that steel yeah. or are they using the good European steel, which would have been superior simply because it's just, it's better <laughs> i mean it's, it's it's better iron again these details not very sexy you right. know nobody wants to get into the idea that like oh how uh how much integrity did the viking ring mail have if it was made from this kind of bog iron type of stuff yes, you know that like, was what they sort of spent more time on and that's yeah. why we have to take a step back and remember that these cultures did not evolve together no therefore the uh their armor definitely is not going to work yeah. if we had a viking in the armor that he was able to get and a samurai in the armor that he was able to get and we go longsword versus katana, I can tell you right now, longsword is going to win only because the uh, ringmail does a very good job of protecting against the katana. Yes, it does, against cutting attacks. Now, I, I mean, that, that's, the only, that's the only contention i got to take with you here because I have seen with my own two eyes a very old, old, old katana blade mm -hmm. stabbed through three layers of a 16-gauge uh, steel ring mail and thick leather sure. sandwiched together so sure but um this show is going off of the premise that these two fighters don't get the chance to study each other beforehand Good point is the katana wielder going to know not to slash that his slashes are going to have zero effect well i think that any i think that any warrior worth his salt is going to realize that oh wait i cut this guy a couple of times and i didn't get through his armor maybe i should try thrusting right but by the time he's cut this guy a couple of times the long sword has been able to cut through his armor see already you 
have way more nuance than this show fucking displays <laughs> is what I'm saying. I just, if, if, if we're taking nothing else but their, the armor they're able to get and those two weapons, I would say that the longsword would win only because that was the point of the show where they compared the armor. And yeah. the ring mail is definitely better at protecting against the katana than the... Um, uh, what, what is the it's there was lacquered wood. It was, it was sometimes it was lacquered wood uh many times uh they, they used uh, metal plates if they could get their hands on it but again we're talking about people who used whatever they could get depending on how rich they were you know that's true and um you had a kind of a sandwiching layer much like uh ancient lamellar armor was like so you had like linen and then lacquer and then leather and then linen and then lacquer and then then you have this ancient kevlar yeah the the linen and the wood was incredibly good at catching a katana blade yeah you know more than really uh protecting against it it was good at um gosh i I know it's not a good word but tangling up the katana blade like just making it more difficult to retract and attack again oddly enough the silk that the kimono of the time were made out of could protect you from a sword strikes oddly enough if you from a slashing strike oddly enough this is very strange but the silk can be very strong depending on how you're attacked for instance if i'm if i'm swinging a katana at you and you're wearing a silken kimono um if i'm chopping at you with like a wood cutting action where i'm just striking perpendicularly at your flesh, uh-huh. I may not get through very well. However, if my technique is more like a casting out of the tip, and I'm bringing the sword back in a slashing motion in the in the attack motion, more of a slice, I could carve straight through your body if I wanted to. All like, right, so I've got a kimono from Ragstock, and you've got a sword. We can figure this out right here. All right, yes, bonus episode, <laughs> <laughs> right? But 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 the idea being that like the people who put on this television show never can. I don't know if that ever occurred to them obviously but like you said they're doing hour-long episodes for the consumption of the lowest common denominator and this is spike fucking tv we have to remember that it all turns here um so i i I do take uh I, i do have problems with them um with that uh, long sword versus the naginata, only because those weapons just aren't the same. It's apples to oranges. It, it should be the katana or the nodachi versus the long sword, yeah. or it should be the naginata versus the spear. Yes, which is the next matchup weapon that they have. It is, and oh uh, it's a shame that they did that incorrectly. Holy so the next shit. matchup, <laughs> okay. that spear, what is it that they match that against? They match it up with the Japanese Yumi, the bow, the like yeah. the six foot long, long bow. Which is just like, I'm sorry. A spear is a great long range weapon if you're an infantryman and long range, your idea of long range is six feet that way in front of you, right? right. Instead of like, I don't know, 50 yards more if you're using a bow, depending on how good you are at it. It's just, right. they compare apples to oranges so many times and they treat them as if they're the same. It, it drives me bonkers. One of the interesting things that they did with the spear is they had their Viking martial arts expert come in and he threw the spear and it was great and it was actually pretty accurate. Yeah. And then they said, what if you threw two at the same time? And so he threw two at the same time. They both hit the targets. And then for the rest of the show, they com- they continued to compare the accuracy of that two thrown at the same time versus the Yumi. As if, as if throwing two spears with either of your hands at the same time was the M.O. of your average Viking warrior. Right. So 
you know, now I, I have been around stage combatants, I have been around fight nerds, and I have been around beer at the same time. Yep. I absolutely understand the instinct to say, oh, what if you did two at the same time? <laughs> like, I get that. Yeah. But then you can't make that your thesis for this exactly. weapon. And you mentioned while we were watching this episode that the kind of spear that they were throw was not necessarily the kind of spear that they would thrust with. Oh, well... well uh, other way around. Um, the spear that they had was taller than the person. I would say it was about uh, six and a half, seven feet. Just I don't about, know how yeah. tall that guy was. And he was throwing it. And the Vikings did throw spears. And we have very little evidence to how long the spear shafts were because most of them just didn't survive yep. because it was it was uh, nicely sanded branches. You know. Yeah, exactly. But. Um, you would not throw a seven-foot-long spear at your enemy. Yeah. Because even if your accuracy is all right, now your enemy is able to grab your weapon and kill you with it. Yeah. Being murdered with your own weapon is, time and time again in these old Viking sagas, one of the worst things that can happen. Exactly. Like, by God, be killed, but don't let it be with your own fucking sword. Like, yeah. Hoist by his own petard. Right. Uh, don't let your petard be hoisted. Yeah, never. So, never. Listeners, never let your petard be hoisted. Yeah, ever. keep it right where it is. Keep that petard. <laughs> So, um, a lot of these times these spears would be used more as thrusting weapons. Yep. They were very popular in the shield wall. There would yeah. be a shield wall constructed, and then the spears would come out from between the shields exactly. to Which give good Which they saw poking. from the Romans at the late end yes. of the... Yes, yes, you know, absolutely. The, during and, that period, yeah. And then when the shield wall broke and it came to use your spear as your main weapon, um, the spear was a two-handed weapon. Yeah. It was, it was for thrusting. It is more analogous to the Naginata... Yeah. And I feel like it's unfair to compare when the Vikings already had a long-range weapon. Exactly, exactly. The Vikings used bows? I mean... Uh, not... I mean... Bows weren't really used with great accuracy in Europe until well after the Viking Age. Gotcha. Remember, um, the, the time period of the samurai and the time period of the Vikings were... The, the Vikings, Centuries apart. The Vikings ended 200 years before the samurai started. More uh, or less, two, yeah. three hundred years. We're greatly simplifying things, not as much as they do in Deadly as Warrior, mind you. But right. We are simplifying things nonetheless. And and so European bows just weren't really as accurate at the times. What they did instead is they threw axes. Yes, they and did. These uh, smaller hand axes could be accurate up to forty feet. Is about what we have Damn. been able to glean. So I mean, it it, it does do well for a long range weapon. I'm not sure what the accuracy of the bow of the Yumi was back in, like, the Sengoku period. Yeah. Um, because a lot of what I have read in my very, very surface amount of research was that it was used like the European bow, where you just have dozens of people firing at the same On time. Yeah. Um, and accuracy isn't really a thing um, until much, much later yeah. when archery was more of an art form. Um, very, very much so. I mean... The, the the thing about the samurai that is very very fiction like in this regard and that a lot of people don't realize is that at the outset samurai were mounted archers. The idea mm. was oh. that um, two clans would face each other over some territorial dispute or whatever, and me or I as a samurai, my uh, my goal is I want to find somebody of my same status on the battlefield 
and basically fight a duel with them in the middle of this battle. They, they would fight a duel with bows? Basically, yes. Huh. Because they, they were both mounted archers. We're probably going to charge at each other and circle around each other and try and take shots at each other with our gigantic bows and everything like that. Or, you know, ride along the enemy battle line and everything and strafe them basically with arrows as best we could. Now, our image of the samurai that... Uh, is most prevalent in popular culture comes from much after that period. Mm. You know, uh, there's a very famous uh, episode in Japanese history where they fought the Mongols when they came ashore at a place called Hekata Bay, and the samurai tried to fight the Mongols according to their own customs, which is basically like, "I am so and so of this clan, <laughs> and I am going to fight you now, and we're going to do this kind of semi-formalized." The Mongols just roll over them. Basically, yes, exactly. <laughs> they got smashed because the Mongols did not have such a formalized form of battle mm. because they were fucking Mongols. Now that's something interesting to bring up. Would that sort of formalized battle come into play if it's Vikings versus samurai? Because then much the same might happen. You know what? I wonder. I wonder very much. I mean, were Vikings individualistic warriors, or did they more adhere to the, okay, we're a team, we're going to fight as a team? That second one. Yes. Definitely that second one. Yeah, you know? So, you know, again, we're comparing apples to oranges, and we're expecting we're expecting an accurate result, and it's just not necessarily the case, you know? So the idea that the Yumi was... The, the Yumi, as far as I know, is a precision weapon used from horseback to try and target individual people. However, of course, you also had them firing in, uh, in formations as well. Um, okay. The Japanese, oddly enough, were one of the first people that, once uh, gunpowder weapons were introduced to them, were f some of the first people to rank their gunmen and fire en masse in volleys of bullets, of course, uh, you know, you're, uh, everybody else surpassed them in that kind of technology soon afterwards, but it's odd to know that they were some of the innovators of that. Interesting. Now, yeah, it's just, it, it is interesting to me and very heartbreaking that for the uh, mid-range weapons, they did not bring in the Japanese, either the Yari, their, oh, ba their yes. basic spear, or the Magari or Jumanji Yari, which is a cross-bladed spear, which is very analogous to the kind of Viking spear that they had that had the side lugs on it so that your spear mm. wouldn't go too deeply into the enemy body. Yes. You know? Uh, if they were going to really compare apples to apples, they would have used that. And for the life of me, I can't figure out why they didn't do that. It's... it's uh... You know, I, I'm not the showrunner, so I can't say exactly why, but yeah. I would love really, to be in on that writer's meeting. They really did themselves a disservice by comparing, by having weapons that are comparable and then just not putting up against each other. Yeah. So there was one last, uh, there was one last category, special weapons. Yeah. And they had each, uh, each expert grab a special weapon from that culture. With the uh, Vikings, they brought the shield, you yep. know, which is an absolutely quintessential Viking uh, Viking piece of it was armor integral. Slash it was integral to their entire warfare weapon. style. Yeah, it was everything. Their their shield was everything. Yeah. Um, Ivar the Boneless uh, mm. was a great Viking, uh, a sea king mm. who led a bunch of raiders and has an amazing story. Um, and the shield was his transport. Yeah. He was carried from battle to battle on his shield. Ah, you know, the shield no was kind of just a part of Viking warrior life. Very much like the Spartans with their hoplons. Yeah, you know? yes, in fact. Um, and the uh, Japanese decided to choose the Kanabo. Yes. 
Now, the Kanabo, uh, it takes a little, a little bit of explaining. We're talking about a uh, three to four foot long club mm. made of mostly wood, uh, a very dense oak, ideally, that is cut into a kind of an octagonal pattern shaft. Mm -hmm. And then hammered into it are dozens upon dozens of metal studs. Yes. The idea being is that when I swing the kanabo, or I think there's a, a an alternate term called a tetsubo, I, I heard those terms used interchangeably, but the idea is that I'm swinging this into you, and the metal studs are going to focus the force of the impact on the studs and crush your armor and your bones and your muscles and everything else besides that. It was an absolutely devastating weapon in the right hands. Yes, and uh, so they had this Kanabo, this gigantic, mean, 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 mean-looking club, Ooh, yeah. uh, smashing against the shield, and um, their their analysis was that uh, the Kanabo would have won because it exerted so much force on the shield that it cracked the end, and it would have broken the Viking's arm. However... Um, the test that they did wasn't really fair to how the shield was wielded and yeah. used. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got that boss where you that grip... That central grip. Right? Yes, you grip the shield in the center. And so you're bracing part of the shield with your arm. Yep. You can brace the other part of the shield with your other shoulder. You yep. can brace it with the guy next to you. Yep. Or not brace it and you can use that yeah. as a bashing weapon. Uh, because the shield was used as a bashing weapon. Um, yeah. It was definitely a weapon in its own right as much as it was uh, defensive. Yeah. So um, for the Viking to just stand there, not brace the shield at all, but only grip the center and uh, let somebody smash it with a club. Yeah. You know, it, it's not how the shield is used, and the club was only able to kind of take off you know, a bit of one of the sides. And with how these shields are constructed, yeah. they're sort of, uh, you know, with a couple of planks. Like, it would have knocked off one of those planks, and the shield would absolutely still have been usable. And so, um, I, I don't agree that the shield automatically lost that battle because they didn't give the Viking expert the chance to truly use it. Yeah. That doesn't mean that the shield would actually win, but, you know, we didn't just get to see its full potential. It, it would have been great to see these people kind of, like, spar or something like that. If they could have rigged up some kind of analog weapons that would be safe for Bought these experts. Yeah, something like that, you know? We do it all the time. It's foam. I mean, uh... What is it called? UWM, Unified Weapons Master, is a kind of a thing that I'd love to do an episode about. But the idea being that, kind of like UFC, they want to try and compare weapon styles against each other in real time, with real combat, with real oh. people and everything. But the idea, it's just that they didn't do that in this series. And I feel like they could have done that if they would have tried... But then again, I, I don't know. I would love to talk to somebody one of these days who was involved in the production of this show because it would be very enlightening to see the decisions mm -hmm. made at that point. But so they get to this, they get, they get, they run it through their computer simulation, and I've done some research. I cannot exactly find out what program they use or um, what kind of what kind of algorithm that they're feeding all their data into or how they quantify their data. There's so much missing in how they 
address the efficacy of these weapons and how they would stack up against the other side. So we kind of really have to take their word for it when they say that they ran it through this cutting-edge computer simulation. Well, but when we already see that they're not giving the weapons their full use and they're not um, using the weapons with good comparisons, I don't think we have to take their word for anything. Uh, (laughs) Those of you who are engineers might be familiar with the phrase garbage in, garbage out. Like, if you have (laughs) bad data going into your simulation, you're not going to have good data coming out the other side exactly so they run it through the simulation a bunch of times and then they take two fighters and they yep. give them a fun bit of choreography and in they this ru- skit you know this love, reenactment it's it's so no, dumb i don't care i love that part yeah, yeah. um wait till you see the apache versus gladiator oh <laughs> yeah. boy i bet that's gonna be treated very sensitively who boy is it not um but uh, they have this guy in an awful blonde wig. I think it was a Legolas wig. It Party looks City. like it, yeah. I think I owned that wig. Um, Stereotypes. Up against a very stereotypical samurai. And they're uh, fighting in this forest. And they fall into a river. And then he knocks him down. And then the... Uh, there are a couple slashes that they do yeah. at the chainmail. The samurai slashing at the chainmail as and if it he cuts. expects to... Yeah, exactly. They specifically I... went through a simulation trying to cut pigskin yeah. with that chainmail, yeah. and it didn't work. And so the fact that they choreographed that slash yeah. to incapacitate the Viking is is interesting. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm on Team Samurai, as you might know. I mean, I'm I'm kind of gonna fall on that end of things if we're talking about one or the other. But like, even then, I gotta say, like that wasn't fair. Like, really, like. Any so, any any warrior worth assault would have been would have realized that you're not going to slash through that ever. Come on, right? Or at least they'll try it once, realize it didn't work, and then go for something else instead of continuing to slash. Um, so overall, this show I think is incredibly fun. I it's I fun. like watching it's it. Dumb I used fun, to watch yeah. it all the time. I, it's a I Jerry, will still watch it. It's it's the Jerry Bruckheimer equivalent of historical reenactment. Let's be <laughs> honest here. They t- they choose all the sexy bits, all the explosions if they can, you know, and they break everything down to its most basic level for the easiest digestion of the people who are watching fucking Spike TV. And, you know, they get it wrong. The Viking absolutely would have won. But at least it's good entertainment. This is true. This is true. And which brings me to... Yes, it is true. The Viking would have won. (laughs) (laughs) We can agree and disagree on that one. Uh, I would love, I would love if we could maybe really do our diligence and like, okay, Deadliest Warrior failed at this one. Let's see if we can succeed. But we'll have to do that for a future bonus episode if we have a Patreon. I don't know. Anyway, but the idea... Okay. Wait, no, we have swords. Why do we not do this? Because we... Insurance and, um... I I don't know if I want to spend that long in an emergency room. Or you in an emergency... Worth Mm, it. I love you, babe, but... mm. Worth it. Anyway, um... My biggest gripe with this series is the people that they have on, the, 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 their experts that they have to discuss the, the virtues and the drawbacks of their particular weapon system. And obviously, they have people from those cultures, which, as they should, they should have Japanese people. Uh, like they had, um, the, uh, the, the main samurai expert was a Japanese guy who was uh, supposedly descended from a samurai family and everything, which is good. I'm very glad that they did that and they had the viking expert also de- de- descended from vikings and everything like that well so- he said i'm probably what was it um 
I can probably trace my ancestry to Vikings from Denmark. Probably, yeah. So just like, eh. <laughs> Again, okay, like... Okay, so you're part Danish, that's yes, what you're saying. <laughs> but the idea is that they at least have people representing their respective true, cultures true. and everything like that, which is a mark in their credit, I suppose. You know, but... Deadliest warrior, slightly more accurate than Ghost in the Shell. Yes! <laughs> But, uh, oh, good lord, I wonder, we gotta do, like, a straight drunk episode of that some of the, one of these days. I don't think we have to. Oh, no, we don't. Anyway, um, <laughs> but my main gripe is that this is kind, this type of presentation kind of highlights everything that is wrong with the martial arts nowadays. Because you have people that get caught up in their respective cultures, and of course they're going to defend their own cultures, and nationalism gets wrapped up into it very quickly. Right. I, you have one of these things that you're going to see, if you watch more than one episode of Deadliest Warrior at all, I promise you, the people that they have on are the most chauvinistic, assholish versions yes. of themselves. And I'm sure that selective editing has a great deal to do with it. I, I even have a note here that says the trash talk can go to hell. Yes, the trash talk, you know? Like, I, I one of the uh, one of the Viking warriors said, like, uh, had something of, um, I, I, I'm not sure, like, they set up a wooden target or something like that, or, or they were talking about, I think, the shield of the Viking and everything. They're like, Oh, this is clearly the biggest piece of wood a samurai is going to see. <laughs> <laughs> Chuckle, like, chuckles like, frattily. Yes, exactly. <laughs> like, are you kidding me? Like, you're going to go for the lowest common denominator joke possible? I mean, and it's not just that. It's it's a lot of, like, really weird insults that it doesn't sound yeah. like they actually mean them because they were yeah. probably told by the guy holding the camera, hey, say something bad about that yeah. weapon. The, I honestly would love to see what their conversation was like when the cameras were turned off because I be bet it was very interesting. much smarter. I'm sure it was, you know, but then again, that doesn't make good television. Uh, when they were testing out the katana, they had... Three pig carcasses stacked on top of each other, and you made the very good four. point. I think was I, I think it was, I think four, it was three, but they only cut through three. I possibly. Anyways, uh, but 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 the idea was that they had these pig carcasses stacked, stacked on top of each other, and you made the good point that these were pig carcasses that were just meat and bone. They were hollowed out. They, they didn't did not have, have any the blood or organs. Or the, yeah, and, which is again very hard to get if you're going to buy pig carcasses on right. mass, right? So they did the best they could. I get that. But, like, the samurai uh, expert was saying, it's like, oh, isn't this how Vikings sleep? You know, three on top of each other and everything like that. I'm like, this is not necessary, guys. Like, right. if we're going to have a serious discussion about the merits of one fighting style or one set of weapons against another set of weapons, let's do that. You know, let's let's go all out and let's geek out and let's, let's try and find... Mm -hmm what we can find and everything like that but like don't insert the drama for like yeah, no reason you know just give us the facts and that's what that's why this is ultimately a disservice to this field because of this series on is on spike or was on spike tv thankfully spike tv doesn't really exist anymore doesn't it i don't think so i think they went bankrupt did they really? I could be wrong, but I've, I'm fairly certain Spike TV is not a thing anymore. Unless it's like an on-demand channel or something like that. I, you I, know what? I haven't had cable in so long that I can't even... Exactly. Millennials, you know what we mean, right? <laughs> Fucking cable, right? No, Spike TV is still totally a thing. 
Yeah, okay. Is it? Okay, good. Yeah. I, I thought for a moment that they had gone out of business at some point or they had left cable or something like that. But but again, Spike TV, you're not already going to get the highest common denominator That's you right. know, among viewers, it's, right? It's not um, It's not TLC from the 90s. You know, it's not yeah. uh, the information, the, 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 the uh, learning. <laughs> yes, the, certainly. I don't think anybody was going into this with the intent of learning anything. You know, I don't know if anybody's going to come out of it with the product of learning anything. Although I have to say, um, if I went into this show knowing absolutely nothing about either culture, and there are a couple episodes that I've watched yeah. where I have known absolutely nothing about their fighting styles. Yeah. Um, you do learn something. It is entertaining. You know, credit where credit is due. Yeah. Like. It's it's fun, mindless TV for the combat oriented. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I mean, and, and there you go. We, we we one of the purviews of this podcast is that we wanted to explore the entertainment side as well as the real historical side of yeah. combat and everything. You know, and these people were telling a story, and I cannot fault the producers of this show. For wanting to make good television. We did an episode on sci-fi weapons. We can't talk. <laughs> exactly, exactly, right? I mean, if we're going to have a discussion about which is better, Powered Armor or the Death Star, I mean, <laughs> that says a lot about our credibility, right? Keep listening, people. Keep subscribing. Yes, please. Please, we need it. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so uh, did what was what did you like about this? What, what was your favorite part? Of, what, what do you think they got right? Huh. Um... I don't like that I'm taking a second to think about this. Um, I I think that I really liked the uh, simulation that they did at the end with the two different fighters. It yeah. was all 100% choreographed yeah. with costumes from a Halloween store. And but overacting like, whoa. Right, but I do think it's kind of fun that they did put together at the end, like a Viking and a samurai are traveling in a wood, and they happen to spy each other, and without a word, <laughs> they draw fight. weapons. Yes. You know? And that was kind of fun. Yeah. I, it, ag agreed, agreed. I'd say that my probably favorite part of this, or the things that I actually did like, is that uh, when the samurai experts were testing out the Yumi bow, they did several called shots on a couple of different targets they shot that ballistic dummy yeah. in both its eyes that i got it i don't awful. care who you are that i don't care awful <laughs> i don't care who you are that was fucking impressive yes. the idea that this guy could call his shots so specifically as to take out first one eye and then the other eye that but was well that, done that doesn't uh that doesn't impress on me the uh importance of that bow yeah. that just tells me holy shit that guy is way more skilled at that bow than that yeah. other guy was with that spear throwing exactly which isn't even something the vikings did which so, is it was impressive it is ultimately the thing that the thing that gets lost in these conversations and these what if scenarios and this deadliest warrior tv show is that ultimately no matter what equipment that people are working with if it's a con if it's a confrontation between two warriors it is gonna ultimately go to the skilled right. warrior you right. know you're not necessarily i mean y your weapon system and your armor and everything like that it makes a great deal and it gives you certain advantages or disadvantages but at the end of the day it is the individual warrior and the skill therein that carries the day so you gotta get good Get good scrub. Gotta get right? good. Anyway, this has been our first 
episode or the first part of our Deadliest Warrior analysis series, I suppose. I'm, yeah, I, we'll we'll probably do another couple episodes. Well, at some probably point. because this is this series is as you're going to see the gift that keeps on giving. It gets <laughs> oh, wait till we get to season two and three of this show. It gets bonkers. <laughs> anyway, uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for your patience. Thank you so much for listening, and uh, we appreciate you sticking with us through this hiatus that we have had, and uh, we're going to make sure that we get more regular content out to you uh in the future here so uh please stick with us we're gonna have some very interesting episodes coming up kirsten have you got any last thoughts uh yes i have a last thought uh we are doing a show june 4th it is in seattle yes if you're in seattle uh come to star battles it is a burlesque slash variety show it is star wars slash star trek slash firefly slash I don't know. Sci-fi. Jupiter Ascending. Like, all of that sci-fi, like, really cosmo, cosmic, um, heavy space fantasy stuff. Absolutely. It's going to be at the Rendezvous Jewel Box in Belltown here in Seattle. Please come out and see that if you can at all. Uh, We would love to say hi. Yes. All right. Everybody, uh, thank you. Uh, Keep yourself safe. Uh, You know, uh, try not to be assholes to each other when you're discussing various fighting styles. And, uh, you know, uh, make sure that uh, no matter what you're talking about, that, uh, you know, facts are still important to you. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) take care of yourself and each other, baby. And uh, bye. Go above and beyond and follow us at Fightcast Podcast and check out our blog and new episodes at fightcastpodcast.com. Thanks for listening. Now go forth and conquer.